you know, do you wait until you've figured out a global solution to it, or do you get started with saying, I can save a few lives today uh, while you work on the global solution? Hello, I'm Richard Hurley, the BMJ's Features and Debates Editor. Publish or perish, the adage goes, but in which journals? The past few years have seen a huge rise in open access publishing, where authors pay a fee, but anyone, anywhere can access, share and reuse scholarly work forever. Compare this with the traditional model, where readers pay a subscription to read research in a journal. Coalition S is a consortium of charities and 15 national European funders, including the UK's Medical Research Council. They want to mandate open access publishing for research they fund after 2020 in what is called Plan S. The National Institute for Health Research also supports the plan. Sounds reasonable, or could there be unintended consequences of such a shift? Our latest head-to-head debate asks... Should I publish in an open access journal? And I'm joined today by some of the authors. Um, I wonder if you might introduce yourselves very briefly. David Sanders, could you tell tell us who you are? Of course. Uh, uh, my name is David Sanders. I'm the Professor of Gastroenterology in Sheffield. And James Ashton, can, can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. So my name is James Ashton. I'm a specialist registrar in paediatric gastroenterology and an academic clinical fellow down at the University of Southampton. And I'm also joined uh, by uh, a patient, um, Dave de Bronckart. Can you tell us who you are, please? Yes, I'm a kidney cancer survivor 12 years ago who is now an evangelist for what we call participatory medicine. Thanks so much for joining us um, today. David Sanders, in in the head-to-head debate, you say that 75% of all science research is currently published behind paywalls. But why does that matter? Why And why is this of any interest to doctors? I think it could be summarised very simply uh, with one word, equity. Equity is crucial for healthcare, and that, that's a global issue. I, I, we have such profound digital changes over the last two or three decades, and to allow everybody uh, to have equity of access to me, seems like an entirely reasonable principle. Uh, James, what what do you think about that? Do you at the moment seventy five percent of uh, research is published behind paywalls? Would you like to see a, that that as a hundred percent? Well, I, th- I think the the main issue isn't with the principles behind open access. I think that it would be very difficult to argue that researchers and probably more to the point, the public and the patients who are involved with the research shouldn't have access to these data that are being published. But I think the issues are mainly surrounding how that has been enacted to this point and, and the risks that are associated with um, the, the models that we have for publishing are, are quite considerable when you, you consider the risk of introducing bias to the literature. I think that, that, that's a major, major concern. And can you go into a bit more detail there? What do you mean, uh, in introducing bias into the literature? Why should open access publishing do that? So at the, at the moment, most open access publishing is on an author pays uh, model. So if you publish in either a hybrid journal, so that's a traditional 
behind a paywall journal where you can pay a specific fee for open access publications, then the author pays that fee. And it's normally several thousand dollars or pounds. And if it's in an open access only journal, you often pay for that privilege as well. And so you, if you have the money to pay, you can publish stuff open access and then anyone can read that. And so the risk of introducing a bias towards researchers or potentially industry who has the ability to pay for that and therefore widen the access to specific parts of the literature, I think it is, is very real. And there is some evidence to back that up from uh, a variety of studies, uh, including one that was done in the, uh, the annuals of rheumatic diseases from the BMJ group, where 17% of studies were, that were industry funded had open access compared to only 8% of studies without industry funding. And I, I think it's a, it's a potentially quite major concern. David Sanders, do you share that um, concern? Yes, I do, actually. I think that um, what James has said is absolutely correct. The devil is in the detail. And as a basic principle, it sounds perfect that there should be open access for everything. So I think to aspire to the plan that's being put on the table, we have to have a, a consideration of how we change our dealings with journals and maybe how journal subscription changes because you do you do want that uh, equity for all both patients and uh, healthcare professionals alike but you don't want to end up uh, skewing your your um your pitch or, or or essentially falling into the hands of of predatory journals or um, companies that are willing to pay. So I agree with James. Um, but I, I think that we can think our way around that. You know, we, we are in a position to consider how we tackle that problem. It clearly is occurring. Maybe um, can bring in Dave de Bronca at this point. What's your view on this? Why does this matter to patients? Well, you know, I'm, I am extraordinarily fortunate to be alive because when I almost died in 2007 with stage four kidney cancer, the best available evidence said that my median survival was 24 weeks and I got a treatment that usually doesn't work. And, but when it does, when it gets any response at all, about half the time it's complete and permanent. The challenge is that sometimes the side effects, this is high-dose interleukin-2, sometimes the side effects kill people. And, and there was nothing in the literature about how to deal with the side effects. I got that information from an online patient community. Now, the, what this led to, the reason this is relevant, because I'm not talking about something that was published but inaccessible, Nobody can achieve the best possible results if they don't have access to all the available information. And it is, I assert that it's a tragedy when an outcome is, a possible outcome is missed because extant information is not present at the point of need. And this is where uh, you know, believe me, I am very grateful for everybody who is involved in creating new knowledge and in disseminating it. I just want it to be more equitable so that somebody with weaker finances, whether they're in a poorer country or in just any cause at all, 
that means that knowledge that could have made a difference was not available at the point of care and somebody died or suffered as a result. So my request is that we figure out how to just replumb all the pipelines uh, and I that you know that such that the cash comes from wherever it comes from and gets to the people doing the work but in a more equitable way that leaves nobody out. I don't think anyone could argue with that as a, a sort of proposal and, and obviously getting the most equitable and widespread dissemination of knowledge would be everyone's first choice in the scenario. But I think the main issue that we have is that the, the current system, as, as was set out there, does not allow for that to take place. And, and if we allow people to publish open access, at the moment we are only allowing those people, those researchers and those within industry who have the finances to be able to do that, to publish those results open access. So conversely, we may be being inequitable by publishing only the results with backing of significant finances in open access and, and only allowing the, the public and the, the patients who this research has to be for to access those results. And so I think that the, the, the question is, isn't about whether open access is a, is a good idea. I think it is absolutely a good idea. But I think is the, the system we have at the moment does not allow it to be done fairly. Dave DeBroncart, do you share some of those concerns? I absolutely share those concerns. I've been involved in culture change and technology change all my life. Uh, very briefly, I could say a lot, but very briefly, uh, all those concerns are real, but we have to get moving. I really, truly, when you think of it from the perspective of somebody who has a family member who is dying, you get an urgency about it that is not present if you step back and look at the overall process without the, the details of what's happening. I find it actually helps. Imagine there's something horrible going wrong and homes are burning down, killing children. Now, do you wait until you've figured out a global solution to it or do you get started with saying, I can save a few lives today uh, while you work on the global solution? Lucy, I think that's a very interesting perspective because I guess what I have thought by reading uh, the other pieces within this uh, composite article is the major issue will be people who pay subscriptions to journals would have no need, as James raised, if, um, if indeed everything was open access. And the second issue is, again, what James said about financial incentives and, and uh, Goliath uh, ruling that territory. So I wonder about how you replumb uh, and where you, how you get the money in in a different way and whether it has to be something like a flat fee for, uh, with a graded scale. So whoever is, is submitting something, they have to pay a fee uh, if it's accepted. But then for uh, pharma or companies, it'll be substantially more. 
And then if you are an institution, uh, that has a certain price attached. And if you got your maths right, if each journal worked out what their, their necessary stream was uh, and then looked at where they get their publications from, they could probably replummet in such a way that they would receive the same amount of capital, broadly speaking. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I'm just pitching this. What do you think, James? Yeah, I think that there has, there has to be some way of, of making this more fair to both people who are trying to publish their results, because the whole point is to get that information out, but also to the people who are interested in those results. And so that's other researchers, but also the public. And if you have a, a more fair process to pay the fees, I think that you would then result have the result of getting more people to publish their, their work open access. And, and certainly, we know that the impact of stuff published open access is considerably more than stuff which is behind paywalls because people can read it, therefore people can cite it more easily, and therefore people can disseminate the, the knowledge more easily. And, and so if there was a more equitable system for paying those open access fees, I don't think we could have, a, I think the debate would be much more simple and, and over much more quickly because I think the, the principles behind why we need that knowledge to be out there are absolutely sound. You said that you've been involved in, in uh, the culture of digi digital work over many years. Do you have any examples out with this situation where you can bring uh, your knowledge from another, uh, another field or a completely uh, different practice you know, that's out with medicine, uh, how, to, how you would resolve this? Well, I don't, I've never seen something that is directly parallel to this because, you know, it, one thing that happened when my, when my first industry, graphic arts, digitized back in the 1980s, power shifted because the person who had the need had suddenly had the ability to configure their own solution. Now, we as patients, if all of medicine went digital, it would still be a long time before I had the ability to configure a new treatment. You know, but what what is happening here is, as I said in my essay in this feature, I, my appeal is to change the current mental model we have, which says that the work is finished when the knowledge has been created, even if it never gets to the people who need it. And I appeal to everyone involved to say that the work is actually not completed until it's been delivered. And therefore, the funding in every funding proposal should include, whether you say it's a flat percentage like 10% or, or a flat fee, I don't know, but shouldn't the work's not finished until the result has been delivered to the public, to the clinicians and patients who are intended to benefit from it. So I think one of the things I should mention is that you know many researchers do this out with a grant and out with particularly in the UK where there are NHS researchers who are not funded by universities. You know they are doing this for the love of the research of the field that they're in, uh, and those are the ones who will struggle to to pay. Um, 
and don't have a means other than their own personal funds. And that would be the same, I suspect, in many low-income countries. Um, so there is that difficulty, and it, it makes you always wonder whether it, it would end up being almost like a means test of dividing uh, groups up accordingly, and whether that in turn will then have further unforeseen consequences. But like you, I can't help but think that's the way forward. There has to be some way of recouping the, the, the finances that the journals are so terrified of losing if they uh, drop their paywall. Um, because the, 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 the thing they get is subscription. That's what they get. And without that, they cannot rule. Can I, can I bring forward another, another thing to think about in, in, the, in all of this? And, and that's a concern that, that we've had with the, the current open access and potentially subscription journal model is that at the moment there, there is a, a lot of research published and one of the potential benefits but also potential risks of having everything open access is being able to judge priority and relevance within a journal of a specific piece of data and at the moment that is done to a certain extent by some journals with rating research on priority when you submit something it may be methodologically sound but it doesn't reach a high enough priority or relevance and certainly within a busy clinical career you don't have time to read every single bit of research that's published within a, a field and I think if you were to be able to introduce to an open access model the ability to have some editorial judgment on priority and relevance as well as accompanying comment pieces or editorial pieces to help guide a busy clinician or to help guide a member of the public or a patient towards what is potentially the most important finding or most important data from something, I think that would be a huge step forward as well. I I don't think I have any more questions. Um, so, David Sanders, is there, do you have any anything more you'd like to say on this? You, you want to sum up and um, give us a... Your I think your I would summarize by views. saying, of course, I, I think I would summarize by saying, I actually think that all three of us agree with the fundamental tenet of open access, and it seems to me that the key—it's a great aspiration—but the problems are uh, the devil being in the actual detail and also unforeseen consequences uh, of of having such a strategy. But uh, to take from Dave and what he said. I think if we looked at the plumbing of finances, that's the key. That would be the way to change this, um, not just journal by journal, but in, but in a, a, a completely changing the landscape of how we how we publish. That that's the thing that we have to consider going forward, and really that's the job for journal editors uh, such as the BMJ um, to say how can we alter uh, how our funding stream comes in so that we can offer open access to everyone. James Ashton, do you have some final words, any summing up, other points you'd like to make? Yeah, so I, I think I couldn't help but agree with what David and Dave have said. Uh, I think the, the principles and the, the purpose behind having things open access is absolutely sound, and it would be very difficult to argue that patients, other researchers, and the public who funded the research should not have access to those data. and. The, the main issues that we 
have or that there are present are the current system for making things open access, which is inherently unfair towards those who don't have the ability to pay and potentially risk introducing bias to the literature in the current model. I think if we could work out a way of making the open access journals and open access hybrid journals have high quality peer review alongside a, an equitable system for paying the open access fees, then we would be moving into a situation where the data was there, the ability to judge it was left with the uh, the patient or the researcher, uh, and we would be moving to a situation where it was far better situation for everyone. Dave de Bronckart, what do you say to to sum up and to to close? I, you know, I in any conversation like this, I'm constantly aware that the the mere fact that I'm alive to participate in this conversation is because of brilliant, hardworking people who invented magic stuff that saved my life. You know, not to mention the carers who face to face with me holding my hand in the hospital and everything just mixed their technical scientific training with true compassion and caring. Uh, and I've lost my thought. Let me get it back. Um, I, I want to invite everybody considering this to not assume that they have to solve this themselves. You know, my famous slogan is let patients help. Well, you know, the, the new feature in the BMJ, I believe just this week, is when patients innovate. And numerous patients there who are, are described there who actually created new treatments. You know, Tal Goldsworthy with his uh, aortic mesh that he invented, uh, Michael Saris with the osteo, osteo, excuse me, with the ostomy bag that's connected to his smartphone and the product he's made out of it. Why don't we work together and see if we can figure out together a way to achieve you know, the best possible for all involved? You can read the debate and the commentary online on bmj.com, where you can also find the feature when, uh, when patients innovate. As always, we'd be delighted to know what you think, so please send us a rapid response. We republish the best as formal letters to the editor. I'll be back with more debates in the future, so make sure you subscribe to us so you don't miss out. We're on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. <laughs>